Welcome to One Cause Church. We hope you enjoy this inspirational message. And verse 3. The Lord shall cut off all flattering lips and the tongue that speaketh proud things, who have said, With our tongue will we prevail. Our lips are our own. Who is Lord over us? For the oppression of the poor, for the sighing of the needy, now will I arise, saith the Lord. I will set him in safety from him that puffeth at him. Verse 6. The words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in a furnace of earth purified seven times. Our Father, we thank you for the word today. Thank you for this message. Thank you, Lord, that you gave us a tongue, that you gave us language, that you gave us words with which we can frame the world around us by faith. I'm asking now, Lord, in the name of Jesus, that your word will go forth today with power and that you'll grant to your people the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Christ. May everyone here leave with a greater understanding of what the Word of God has provided for us all. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. High five two people, would you, before you sit. Glory to God. There you go. Good to have you here this morning. It's good to be reminded, too, that as the body of Christ, we really have it good. And that there are a lot of hurting people out there. Listen, New York City has far more of them, no doubt. But they're right here in McKinney, Texas, too. Hurting people that desperately need the body of Christ to act like the body of Christ. Look at verse 4. Who have, who have said with our tongue, we will prevail. Our lips are our own. Who is Lord over us? Hmm. This is the attitude of most of the world and regrettably most of the church world. I'm just going to say it like it is. Say it like I see it. Say it, say what I feel like saying. This is, this is the attitude of most of the world, and as I said, shamefully, most of the church world. And that last phrase is the key phrase to this, to understanding where we're going to go in this series on the tongue. We're starting today. A series on the tongue and on your words. That last phrase is the primary thing to know concerning your own speech, your own words, your tongue. Who is Lord over us? Because whoever you declare to be Lord over you is who is Lord over you. That's who's Lord over you, whoever you declare to be. And this statement is quoting those who say, no one is Lord over us. We're Lord over us. We say what we want to say. We're free Americans. Hadn't you ever heard preacher or something called free speech? I just say what I want to say. I vote up the president, the most powerful man in the world. I vote him in and vote him out. 
Oh, really? No one's Lord over you. Well, Romans 10, 9 and 10 says it like this. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, that if you will say Jesus is Lord, your mouth the Lord Jesus, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that's when you're saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Glory be to God. You put Jesus Lord over you, then you can conquer everything. When Jesus is Lord and you declare Him to be Lord, you become, the, you become the, the Lord of your own circumstances by virtue of His Lordship. He begins to reign in your life, and therefore He reigns over everything in your life. Hallelujah. Proving what He wants for you it is good. He went about doing good. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil for Anybody know what that next thing says? For God was with him. It's as though he's saying, when God is on the scene, good things happen. I mean, that just makes sense. You have to have a theologian help you miss it. God is good. We just saw testimonies of people who were living under the reign of the devil and the reign of their own, their own desires. Destroyed their lives. But when God showed up in a big white bus, things changed. Amen. Come on, can I get a better amen here? Amen. Jesus said at liberty everyone who was bruised because God was with him. Not because he was anointed with brokenness. He came to heal brokenness because God was with him. When God's on the scene, good things happen. I need you to say that with your own mouth. When God is on the scene... Good things happen. Glory to God. The problem is that our tongues are connected to our feelings. Now they're connected to your mind, all right, but they go by way of that connection has a joint in it called feelings and emotion. Because our first response is, hey, you idiot, what are you doing? Cut me off like that. Instantly, your emotions want to talk about what's happening in the moment. He always does that. Now, that is flat, not the truth. Huh? She always does that to me. No, 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 no. That is, you know that's not true. If you think about it, that's just not the truth. But that's how it feels, so that's what you said. That's how it felt, so that's what you said. I'm trying to save some marriages here today. <laughs> he always, she always. No, you know that's not true. But that's how it felt. Connected to your emotions. Connected to your mind, but you've got to get control of how it feels. There is no way to do that but to surrender your whole life to what God says. You just have to surrender your whole life to what God says. Because when your whole life is not surrendered to what God said, then you'll always come up with something to say. Funny thing to me. We see the greatest example of spiritual warfare that ever existed. The greatest example of spiritual warfare. They're writing books, doing 
television special series on spiritual warfare, and it goes on and on and on. And next year, someone else will write another series of books about spiritual warfare, when really it can all be summed up in Matthew chapter 4, the greatest moment of spiritual warfare in the history of the world was when God himself in the flesh was in the wilderness and Satan showed up to tempt him. How many of you think this might just be an extremely climactic and important moment in spiritual warfare? How many of you agree with me? How many of you think it might just be the moment of spiritual warfare? I mean, if we had to boil it down to one. Now, what did Jesus do in that time? Oh, we pulled out a stronghold. You lying, filthy devil. I can no, didn't say any of that. Didn't do any of that. Didn't do any of that. Oh, I bind you. I loose you. I, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm doing something to you. <laughs> he didn't do any of that. He didn't do any of that. Quoted the Bible. Just quoted the Bible. Three times. Just quoted the Bible. Like he believed it was true. Quoted it like he believed it was true, like he believed it would work. Now, see, it won't work for you if you don't believe it'll work for you, but Jesus believed that word would work. And by the way, if it worked on that devil, and they do not send underlings to go fight God. I mean, if there's going to be a fight in God, with God in the flesh, Mr. Big Daddy Devil's going to show up in that deal. He doesn't send some little sergeant imp, some little captain imp. No, no, no. This was the head of the forces. President of darkness at the time, the God of this world. Huh? That's he who had the control of death. That's who showed up to talk to Jesus. Oh, you'd think Jesus could have made lightning flash. You'd think he could have made the ground shake so we'd know we meant business. You'd think he would have stormed around and screamed like your pastor. He just quoted the Bible. Just quoted the Bible. Just quote the Bible. Quote the word of God like he believed that was all he needed. I wonder if that's not really all you need. We have so been conditioned our entire life to use words to express our feelings and to use words to express some sort of thought, to, to communicate. We have completely forgotten the original use of words, the original purpose of words. God said, let there be light. Communication is a secondary purpose for the tongue using words. The primary purpose of words coming from your tongue and through your lips is that of creation. You can change things with how you speak. Your tongue, smallest little member, smallest little member, ten little tiny member. Even Gene Simmons doesn't have a... Great big tongue. Maybe bigger than the average person's, but uh, he's the guy who used to play with Kiss. Remember him? Had all that makeup on his tongue, went out there like that. He looked like a lizard. His tongue was ugly, too. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> he, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but, but even a tongue like that is still small. But your tongue... Can change everything. Your tongue changes everything. How you decide to speak. It's one of the reasons I'm fully convinced 
that the baptism of the Holy Ghost is evidenced by speaking with other The reason the baptism of the Holy Ghost is evidenced by speaking in other tongues and why it's a baptism in the Spirit. You see, because He wants you to go under the influence of the Spirit. Under the influence of the Spirit. And when you're under the influence of the Spirit, that which was one time, hear me out, that which was one time a curse or a judgment on mankind the division of languages, God redeems that, brings it back into our lives as a blessing where we pray the most intimate kind of prayer, our greatest communication in prayer comes from the redeeming of man's language. So he can talk to God by speaking in other tongues. You know, I mean, you can't get baptized in the Spirit like this. You know, the level's right here, go under. I want everything but the tongues. Mm. No. No, you got to go all the way under. Um, look, 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 look. Come up. Huh? Come up with the glugs, amen. <laughs> look, 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 look. Speaking in other tongues. Hey, better, better, yay. Yeah, ba da ba do. Y'all didn't know Fred Flintstone was a charismatic, did you? But it's indicative of our total redemptive package. It's indicative of our total redemptive package. God is proving through that that you can take charge of your tongue. Your feelings do not have to rule your life. Juan Galloway, you ever been afraid in New York City? You've been afraid? I should have asked, has there ever been a day when you weren't? (laughs) Huh? Yeah. And a man who's afraid generally goes someplace and does something about that. Gets in a place where he's not afraid. But he's still there. Why? You take charge of your life. You take charge. If you you keep saying, oh, I'm so scared. I'm so scared. I'm so scared. Every time you say it, you're multiplying the feelings of scared. You're, 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 You're multiplying the fearful feelings every time you say it. Oh, we're going to die. We're going to die. We're going to die. Ah! What's interesting to me is that how, how people sometimes boast about having predicted something. Well, I, I said that was going to happen. I told you. I told you that's going to happen. Like they're, like they're so spiritual because they, they prophesied this thing somehow. Let me say to you, prediction is not guessing the outcome correctly. As though the outcome was already planned by God somehow. That's just not true. Prediction means speak beforehand. It doesn't mean that you're guessing what's going to happen. It means that you're making it happen with your mouth. Is this in the Bible? Of course it's in the Bible. Why did the beloved wife of Jacob's heart die? So young. Why? Why that one? Why the one that he loved? Because he said she's going to die. When she stole her father-in-law's, I mean her father's, Jacob's father-in-law, Laban's gods, Jacob said, the one who has them will die. And she hid them and never returned them to her father. And guess what? Leah, the ugly girl, lived all her days out. 
Rachel, the pageant winner, died young. Because her husband said she's going to die for stealing those gods, and she did die. Jonah predicted that Nineveh uh, was going to be overthrown. He said it's going to be overthrown. Now, God changed his mind. But you find out in Jonah chapter 4 why he ran. I'd like that put up on the big screen, if you don't mind. Jonah chapter 4, and we might as well read verse 1, and we'll read two or three verses. Just to give you a bit of an example how this works. Always has worked this way, always will work this way. Jonah says, did not I say this when I was yet in my country? Jonah chapter 4 and verse 1. Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum. Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum. Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. Jonah chapter 4. Yeah, that's one, two, three. No, I'm just playing, fellas. <laughs> I'm going to read it from here. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. Yeah. And he was very angry that Nineveh was not destroyed. Look at verse 2. And he prayed unto the Lord. Now, he's angry while he's praying. He says and I said, and said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this what I said when I was yet in my country before I took off, running from you? Therefore I fled before unto Tarshish, for I knew that you're a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and you repent of the evil. I said that. Jonah says, I said that would happen. Guess what happened? Exactly what he said would happen. So he is a real prophet. When you go out to witness, why don't you say, people are, people are going to get saved today. When you go to work today, God's going to give me opportunities today. Hallelujah. Instead of begging God for opportunities, he's already told you to go. You don't have to ask God to send you. He already sent everybody in the room. People want to know Jesus today. Hallelujah. People want to know what I know. I mean, there are folks out there who are interested in what I have to say, and they're going to listen to me. If you approach, if you approach life with this spirit of rejection on you, guess what's going to happen? You're going to get rejected. Amen. I know. I'm an old street preacher. I know how they act. I worked on the Santa Fe Railroad. I, I mean, these, these guys, they, they hardly knew how to say anything. Without cussing. So, I talk to them without cussing. And I'm telling you with my hand, I noticed over the years, over time, they wouldn't talk to me when there's cussing. If they slipped, they said, sorry, John. I said, why are you sorry? I mean, I, I'm not going to send you to hell for that. <laughs> Would if I could, but I, I, I can't. <laughs> <laughs> Why do you apologize to me? It's not offensive to me. It's actually offensive to the Lord, you know. Oh, yeah, 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 I know, I know. But I'm just thinking, you know, I don't really talk to him much, but I can talk to you. One guy told me that. I said, well, okay. I forgive thee. <laughs> Predicted, that is, say it beforehand. 
Don't go around saying, yeah, well, I knew that would happen. I, I, I told somebody that was going to happen. That doesn't make you spiritual. That ought to wake you up and say, you better watch what you say. Wake you up and say, watch what you say. Control your tongue because your tongue was originally created. Language was originally created for creation purposes, not communication purposes. The things you want in your life, you need to talk about them. I told you last week, you know, about the little boy who's, whose school teacher said, <laughs> school teacher said, uh, if, you, if you use a word ten times, it's yours forever. You know, he ducked his head and said, Amanda, 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 Amanda. <clears throat> I got a feeling he got Amanda. I mean, I don't know about you, but I mean. <laughs> your tongue is connected, however, to your feelings. You need to write this down someplace. The greatest order of discipleship is to control your tongue. The greatest order of discipleship is to learn to control your tongue. I mean, you can quit smoking and not be a disciple. You can quit drinking and not be a disciple. You can stop lusting and not be a disciple. That was a, that's a tough one, but you can do it. You, you, can bring, uh, you, 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 can, you can bring your anger to a halt even when you're on North Central Expressway. I mean, you can level your life out and still not be a disciple. But the day you learn to control your tongue is the day you learn to control everything in your life. And that is when you become a real disciple of Jesus. The day you learn to control your tongue is the day. Is the day you begin to control everything else in your life. Everything else in your life. And that's when you become a real disciple of Jesus. Take your Bible quickly and turn to James chapter 3. James chapter 3, beginning with verse 1. Ah, oh, come on. I love the book of James, don't you? Hallelujah. A lot of good stuff in there for us. It wasn't actually written to us directly. It was written to the Jews. And that's, you find that in verse 1 of, of James chapter 1. But it's for us. For us. James chapter 3. Let's not turn to 1. I turned to 1 by saying it. Isn't that amazing? I need help. Scott, would you come help me? Scott, stand right here in front of this faith audience, in front of that television camera, in front of the entire Metroplex. I don't want to shock you, but you know there's a good chance that something like 7 million people are watching now. I mean, not a real good chance, but, you know, there's a good chance that maybe 70,000 are watching. But potentially 7 million. Are you nervous yet? Not yet. Okay. <laughs> Scott, I want to ask you a question. I want you to tell me, do you think if I, do you think I can change your thoughts? You can influence them. I think I can change them. Maybe not permanently, but I think I can change them. And if you heard me say these things permanently, it would change your thoughts. Okay. I like cars. Now, did you just see a car? Mm -hmm. Okay. I like, what color was that car that you saw? I didn't really notice. I, I like red cars. Now, did you just see a red car? Yeah. I like red cars with the top down. Uh -huh. Did you just see a red car with the top down? Corvette. A Corvette. <laughs> 
Now you're reading my mind. Miss Ann, I like I like a red Corvette with the top down with Miss Ann driving it. Did you see it? She got on a pair of sunshades. Who whistled? <laughs> Who whistled at Miss Ann driving that red? You cut that out, boy. <laughs> you were thinking about, were you thinking about a red Corvette with a top down Miss Ann sitting in it with a pair of sun, sunshades on when you walked up here? No. Not at all. Mm. I hope not because I wasn't talking about that. I hope. <laughs> I hope you were listening. It is so simple. Oh, I don't know. My thoughts just go crazy. No, 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 no. It's not your thoughts going crazy. It's your tongue going crazy. Because your thoughts, your own thoughts, his thoughts, everybody's thoughts who hear what you're saying must follow what you say. It is perfectly impossible for you to say. Now, you can listen to something and think about something else if you're not really tied into yeah. it. Right? Yes. But you cannot talk about something and think about something else. Schizophrenics can't even do that. You can't talk about one thing and think about something else. You must think about what you're talking about. I think there might be people in Washington, D.C. who have done it in the past, but normal people can't do that. Thank you, Scott. Give Scott a big hand. So the most, important, the most important circumstance to change is the circumstance that, you know, that happens between your ears. Most folks are led by their, they, they let the thoughts develop the speech rather than the speech develop the thoughts. You will never be humble because you put on a sad face. You'll never be humble because you fast. You'll never be humble. True humility will not come to you until you humble yourself under God's opinion. Especially that part where God gives an opinion about how righteous you have been made because of the blood of Jesus. And stop working your way to heaven. Because every time you say you've got to do something of your own works to go to heaven, you're just saying once again, I don't really believe the blood was powerful enough. And you trample upon the blood of Christ trying to get to heaven some other way. There's one way to go to heaven. That is that you believe that Jesus Christ died for your sins, that according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And by the way, that doesn't happen by osmosis. It happens really when you confess it with your mouth that Jesus is Lord over you. Amen. And believe it in your heart. Believe it in your heart because if you'll confess it with your mouth, faith will come alive on the inside of you. If you'll hear it, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. You connect your own mouth to what God has said. When the gospel comes to people, they're, they're ordered by the Scriptures to confess that. Are you seeing this? They, they, they change the way they feel about it. And that's why, you know, I, I, don't, I don't emphasize repentance. I believe in it, but I don't emphasize it over faith. We emphasize faith because if people truly, honestly believe, that changes their way they think. And repentance is nothing if it's not metanoia, changing your thoughts. The word repentance in the New Testament means to change the way you think and you can't just change the way you think by mm, 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 oh I'm trying mm, mm. no that doesn't happen it doesn't happen by crying at an altar it doesn't happen by begging God to forgive you it happens when you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and then yeah. repentance comes automatically get over on faith and it'll take care of everything that happens to you yeah. Yeah. Woo! Yeah. thank you very much it is pretty good preaching I knew a man who lived so, who, 
who lied, I'm going to say, who lied so much and so often that he couldn't differentiate between the lies and the truth. He lied to himself. He could pass lie detectors tests. Murdered a man and passed a lie detector test, saying that he didn't. Somehow he had learned how to say it over and over and over, and his own insides believed it so he didn't react emotionally. If you keep saying that nonsense long enough about she always does that, he always does that, that boss always overlooks me, you say that long enough and pretty soon you will set yourself up for utter and complete destruction in all areas of your life. Because you'll believe that lie. Wow. You keep sitting there and saying, well, I, I've been too bad. I mean, I, I, you know, you don't know what I mean. If I went to church, the roof would fall in. How many times have I heard that? If I went to church, the roof would fall in. No, it wouldn't because you don't have charge of that roof. I do, and it's going to stand up. But you say these crazy things long enough, you just say them, you say these failure things, these sinful failure things long enough, your life begins to follow what you say. Let me say to you, your life will go in that direction. Somebody here ought to be able to help me say this. I've said this so many times. Your life will go in the direction of that which you truly believe. And what you believe is dictated by what you hear and say. Your life will go in the direction of that which you truly believe. Wow. Wow. And what you believe is dictated by what you say. What are you saying? What do you dare say? Keep talking about being a sinner saved by grace. Your spirit's sitting there going, well, which is it? Sinner saved by grace. Which is it? Got to be one or the other. Leave most Christians schizophrenic. They don't know whether they're right or whether they're left. They don't know whether they're righteous or whether they're still hoping to be and trying to be. <clears throat> Are you hearing me today? Don't lie to yourself because you'll believe yourself. The voice you believe more than any other is your own. Your spirit, your inner man hears your voice and believes it more than any other. Your own conscience believes you over everybody. That's why you live like you talk. It's just that that tongue is directly connected to the emotions. I've talked to you at length about the zebra principle, you know. Zebras have to be trained every day. If you're going to ride a zebra, you can, but you've got to break him first every single day. He's just not smart enough to stay trained. And the Bible says that you're, no man can tame the tongue. Well, what that means is you can't make a domestic animal out of a wild animal. And do you know why that is? Because wild animals aren't as smart as domestic animals. So all of you, all of you who think it's cool to be wild, born to be wild. You know what you're really saying? Born to be stupid. <laughs> it's true. You know it's true. How many of you been stupid before? I mean, come on. How many? Yeah, I have. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you're, 
Abraham got a promise in Acts chapter, I mean in Genesis chapter 12. He got a promise. God was going to make him something. And he was 80 years old when the Lord first revealed himself to him. 19 years went by. 19 years. He didn't have that baby in chapter 12. Didn't have that baby in chapter 13, 14, 15. He was made righteous by faith, but he still didn't have that baby. Chapter 16 didn't have that baby. He believed it, but he hadn't confessed it yet. Chapter 16 didn't have the baby. Chapter 17 didn't have the baby. Chapter 18, the angels came and said, this time next year, you're going to have that baby. Sarah's going to have that baby. And the next three chapters cover that next year, 18, 19, 20, up to 21. At the beginning of 21, it says she conceived and had the child. So that takes nine months. I mean, if I remember biology right. So... There's a three-month period in there between when he heard that she was going to have that, going to have that baby, and the time she conceived to have that baby. Three months. He had been 19 years, 19 years without the baby. What happened in that three months? I'll tell you what happened. It's a really great question. You're all very, very smart. Genesis 17 happened before 18, and there God came and said, Abram, I don't like your name. I want you to call yourself Abraham from now on. That's what I've made you as a father of many nations. Now I want you to call yourself that. And three months, three months of Abraham calling himself father of a multitude of nations. Bang. Sarah conceived. Nineteen years. Of believing, believing, believing. But once he got his tongue involved, three months. Wow. Wow. I want you to close your eyes for a minute. And just let that picture soak in. Oh, I'm trying to believe God. Trying to believe God. Why don't you predict it? Say it before you see it. Get your tongue involved. What promise is there working in your heart? What is it that you've seen? What is it that you wanted God to bring into your life? Why don't you say it now? It is mine. I have it. I have it. It is mine. Abraham, father of a multitude of nations. What is it that you, what is it you need? What is it you want? Most of you, I know almost on everyone's prayer list in this room, there's a loved one you want to be saved. There's a loved one you want to be healed. There's a a wayward child. There's one of those wild kids out there acting stupid, doing something that you know he shouldn't do, wasn't trained to do, shouldn't be living his life. Let's use our voice today. And say it, say it, say it. I dare you to say it. I dare you to say what Abraham said. He did not have that child yet. Been 19 years and it was almost impossible in the natural to even think about it. But yet he began to call himself father of a multitude of nations. I'm going to quote you this scripture with your eyes closed just for a moment. Jesus said, therefore I say unto you, what things soever you desire when you pray. When you pray, that is putting it in your mouth. When you pray, believe that you receive it. And you shall have it. So your confession today ought to be this. And this is so elementary to faith teaching. I believe I receive what I prayed for. Would you say that with your own mouth? I believe I receive what I prayed for.
Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. All right, you can look at me one more time. I've got a couple more things to say, and I'm going to turn you loose in just a moment. Three months of saying what God said about him. That's why when you come into the family of God, you don't come in by the law. Because the law put such restrictions on you. The law made you die for what you did wrong. <laughs> I hear a lot about preaching the law to win the lost. I say, well, who's qualified to preach the law? Well, I am. So you don't keep the law. I've challenged, I've challenged young men who say, oh, I go preach the law. I say, well, you're a hypocrite then. You don't keep the law. You're preaching something you don't live yourself? Well, I, I keep the law. I said, no, you don't. Well, I don't keep all the ceremonial law. I said, do you keep the Sabbath? Tell me about that. You keep the Sabbath? Isn't that ceremonial law? No, 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 no. That's number five. Four. Make that make, make the number four. Five is the parents, you know. Honor your father and mother. You keep the Sabbath? No. Then you're a hypocrite if you preach the law. Everybody hearing me today? I just want to make sure the microphone working good. No, 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 no. Preaching the law is not going to get anybody saved. It's going to make you a hypocrite if you don't keep it yourself. That's not how you win the lost. Never, Paul never did that. He didn't talk like that. He went and preached the gospel. The gospel is what? Christ died for our sins. It's good news. He died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried and he rose again. The gospel is all about Jesus. It's all about where we're going. I, let me just say this. I was going to do a series on hell. Now that I've been nice long enough. I was going to preach a series on hell. <laughs> Time to scare some people. So I did a Bible study. And as you know, and I hope all of you are there with me, I believe you cannot understand the Bible until you virtually have Paul's doctrine memorized. It's not one of many we should know. It is the message we have to know. It was to, it was to Gentiles. So I looked up all the references to hell. Two in the book of Acts. Two times the word is used in the book of Acts. And both times it's talking about Jesus, not leave, that God would not leave his soul in hell. Never once did they preach a sermon dangling people over hell in the book of Acts. Not once. I'm just telling you what I found. I looked all through Paul's teaching. You know how many times Paul used the word hell? None! I said, this is going to wreck my Bible study, Lord. This is just going to wreck my Bible study. How am I going to teach on hell if I don't know what Paul had to say about it? And the Lord said, well, why don't you just say what he said about it then and leave it alone? Well, I spent the next little while repenting with tears. Does that mean there is no hell? I'm not saying that. No, there's a hell. There's a hell to shun and a heaven to gain. But I'm just saying, shouldn't it be that when we preach a good news, we should be preaching more about what we're called into than what we've been... Jesus was not called Moses, Messiah. He was called Joshua, Messiah. There are two big names in the New Testament. I said from Matthew to Revelation, there are two big names. The two most often mentioned names in the New Testament, Moses and Jesus. 
right behind Moses, I mean right behind Jesus, used first, most often, is the name Moses, more often than any other name. Next to the name of Jesus. Jesus outnumbers him more than two or three, four times. But Moses is the second most used name in the New Testament. How many of you think Moses is a pretty cool name? How many of you are grateful for what you've been delivered out of? Let me see your hands. How many of you are grateful you're not going to go to hell? Huh? I'm grateful for that. Because it, really pl- it really does exist. It's a terrible place. And I'm glad I'm not going there. I've been delivered out of an awful lot. But Messiah was not, I mean, he had to be named after somebody, I guess. I don't know. But there was a guy who followed Moses named Joshua. His his, uh, spiritual progeny, if you will. I thought Moses' Messiah had a nice ring to it. You know, Eminem. Moses' Messiah. But they didn't name, the angel didn't say, Mary, and thou shalt call his name Moses, because he shall deliver his people from their sins. He did say he's going to deliver the people from deliver Israel from their sins. But he didn't say Moses. He said, We're going to name him Jesus. Which means deliverer. But Joshua didn't deliver them from anything. Hello, everybody. Joshua delivered them into something. The reason God didn't name the Savior of the world Moses Messiah is because he did not want you as a believer in this Messiah always talking about what you were delivered out of. He wanted you thinking about and talking about what you've been delivered into. That's why we... Woo, glory. That's why we talk about the promises of God here all the time. I'm not going to be, be dragging around saying, oh, I'm so thankful I'm not going to hell. Oh, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. I'm not going to keep t- dragging that past with me all the time and teaching you that. I'm going to teach you that you can reign in life by Christ Jesus. That Joshua Messiah brought you out, but he also took you in. Glory be to God. I mean, we lived in that land of not enough in Egypt. We were born there. 400 years of slavery. We were born in the land of not enough. Had enough of not enough. And we got up and got out. Came to a body of water. The Red Sea, 1 Corinthians chapter 10 says, that's when they were baptized in water. Glory be to God. When you get born again, get out of that Egypt, the first thing you need to do is get yourself water baptized. Walk through the sea and under the cloud. Found themselves out there in the wilderness. Now they're not in the land of not enough. They've arrived at the land where the manna comes every day and you get just enough for that day. The land of just enough is better than the land of not enough, but it's not enough for God. Heard that old old song they used to sing, I'm feasting on manna from heaven. I said, ho, 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 ho. You don't have feasts when you're eating manna. You're living hand to mouth, paycheck to paycheck, one day at a time, hoping to get by. Never have enough to put anything in the offering or the building fund or to help a missionary. All you got to do, all you, all you want is just enough to get by, just me and mine. That is not a Christian attitude. Get out of the manna living. Get out of that hand to mouth existence, the land of just enough. And get on get baptized in the Holy Ghost. 
the Jordan River. I thank God for the Red Sea, but I thank God for the Jordan where I got baptized in the Holy Ghost and there's where it says they entered into the promised land. Into the land that flowed with milk and honey. The land of more than enough. Glory be to God. It's what you've been called to. It's your right. It's your right because from there you can be a blessing. Israel could not be a blessing to anybody. They were just surviving in Egypt. They couldn't be a blessing to anybody out there in that wilderness. They were just barely making it. But in the promised land, through the course of time, they brought forth the seed of Abraham, the seed of David, great David's greater son, Jesus, who was the bread that came down from heaven to supply life to the whole world. Glory be to God. I want to ask you to bow your head just for a moment. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the message. For more information about One Cause Church, please visit us online at onecausechurch.com.